Luke, the second chapter, <clears throat> verse number seven tonight, just verse number seven, very familiar passage of scripture, something that uh, anytime you deal with Christmas and the birth of Jesus, St. Luke 2 and 7, beside Matthew 1 and 21, uh, seem to be the most highlighted verses. And so St. Luke, the second chapter, verse number seven, verse number seven, verse number seven, give you all a chance to find it. All right, look what it says. Look what it says. Look what it says here. It says, and she brought forth <clears throat> her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I want to focus on the part and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. So tonight we're just going to simply talk about tonight. Why was the Lord of glory laid in a manger? Why was the Lord of glory laid in a manger? <clears throat> Let me start off first. Uh, there's a lesson by saying that the birth of Jesus is a time surrounded by many miracles. I believe I spoke on that on Sunday. Uh, there are angelic appearances, a virgin conception, split second timing as to the precise moment of his birth. <clears throat> I mean, the hand of God is highly visible in the birth of the Lord Jesus into this world. However, every time I look afresh at the birth of the Lord Jesus into the world, it never ceases to amaze me. This one simple statement that's made in verse number seven, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no room for them in the end. And so to me, the very thought uh, that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would come to this world and be placed in a manger is almost beyond my level of, of comprehension. I know I've heard it many times, preached it many times, but yet it's still beyond my level of comprehension. And so I want to deal tonight why. I want to deal with why was the Lord of glory laid in a manger? We're going to deal with four things tonight. Four things. I'm going to try to deal with four. We'll go as far as we can. I want to deal with four things tonight. And those four things that I want to deal with is number one, because of alienation. Number two, because of association. Number three, because of accessibility. And number four, because it was an announcement. 
why was he born or laid in a manger? Because of alienation? Because of association? Because of accessibility? And because it was an announcement? Those are the four reasons why he was laid in the manger. Now the text tells us that there was no room in the inn. No room in the inn. Now you're going to really have to really ask God to open up your hearts and your minds tonight. All right. And the reason being is because the inn is not what you think it was. Uh, there's a there there is a common narrative that depicts Joseph pounding on doors trying to find a place where Mary can give birth to Jesus. Uh, you know, the owner of the local Motel Six slams the door in Joseph's face, saying that. There is no vacancy. I'm guilty of it as well. There have been times that I had preached this text over and over again. I even preached about the innkeeper one time. And I didn't really make the innkeeper look too good. And so, you know, when you visualize it, the way the story's been told all these years, that's kind of what's conceived in our mind. And then what about Joseph? Finally, he finds a stable where animals are kept and brings Mary to the humble place just in time before Jesus is born. Well, while it is an engaging story, it does not match up with the biblical account and the original Greek text. You do all understand that um, the New Testament is the Greek. The Old Testament is Hebrew. All right. And so when you look at when you look at that, she gave uh, birth to her firstborn son and how they laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, most of us, uh, when we think of the word inn, most of us, the first thing that comes to our mind is holiday in, days in. Now, we understand that back in that day, they didn't have the type of, uh, you know, uh, structures that we have today. But most of the time, that's what we're thinking about, that they, that they traveled there to Bethlehem, pulled up at the holiday inn, and the innkeeper put a no vacancy sign. They went to the days in, and they just didn't let them in. Well, no, uh, uh, that's that's not the case. Normally, uh, and the, the word in is the last word in in that particular text. And so the last word in is what usually fosters the narratives as described before. But you have to understand that the English word is not a full translation of the Greek because when you look at the translation of the Greek word for in, 
it just really simply meant a guest room. It meant guest chamber. Uh, it comes from the Greek word or the original text, kataluma. Uh, kataluma. That's it. Kataluma. Okay. And so when you look at that word kataluma, is understood as a guest room, a guest chamber. You remember the little widow woman, well, not the widow, the woman, every time Elijah went uh, to town, how she would uh, put up the upper chamber, and, and that's where the prophet would stay. Well, well, that's that, that's what it was. He would stay, he would stay in a kataluma, kataluma, that's the Greek for guest room, uh, guest chamber. Uh, it's not a type of commercial inn used for travelers. Now, anytime Luke was speaking of that type, like the Holiday Inn or the Days Inn of their day, uh, 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 he used a different type of word. And so you have to understand that it's a guest room. So there's no room in the inn. Another thing I want us to take note before we really get into this lesson is that Bethlehem was Joseph's hometown, okay? And he likely had relatives to stay with. That's what I like about traveling. There was always, when I go travel, and when I travel to places where I you know, know people or have relatives, it gives you a good assurance that uh, you, know, you at least have somewhere to stay. He's from Bethlehem. That was his hometown. And so he no doubt had relatives that he could have stayed with. And even more to the point, you have to understand that very few people would want to give birth in a type of public motel. Uh, when you search the history of inns, inns at that time did not have a good reputation. And Mary would have wanted privacy for such an intimate event. And then when you really want to really dig into it, a close reading of this text reveals something. It reveals that Joseph and Mary had been in Bethlehem for a number of days before her birth. So it's not like they just drove into town and wanted to stop at an inn, like we think, a hotel or a motel, okay? And 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 they were all full. Look at that seventh verse. Look at, look, 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 look no, I'm sorry. Look at the fourth through the sixth verse. The fourth through the sixth verse. It says, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be enrolled with Mary, he betrothed, who was with child. And here's a key point. While they were there, and I don't say how many days they were there, but while they were there, they were there for the taxation <clears throat> While they were there, the time came for her to be delivered. And so according to Luke, the holy couple were already staying in Bethlehem when Mary went into labor. So in other words, 
They were not rushing to find somewhere to stay on Christmas Eve. Okay, they were just simply looking for a proper place with enough space and privacy for the birthing process. I'm going to show it to y'all in a minute. I'm going to say it again, though. They were looking for a proper place with enough space and privacy for the birthing process. And so since the senses forced everyone to come back home, the inn or guest room was full. I want y'all to write that down. The guest room was full. So Mary and Joseph had to find another place. So like our house is full right now. So if Michael and Asia needed to come back for any reason, I'd have to put a no vacancy sign up. I'd have to say, no, there's no room in the end. <clears throat> All right. Now I know that we've been taught for many years and of the pictures that we had in our minds, but let's develop this text here tonight. Let's develop this text. Because peasant homes included a stable. Now, when we speak of peasants' homes, we're speaking of farmers and and laborers. Okay, the shepherds. Okay, their homes included a stable. All right, and so let me let me let me try to paint a picture uh, uh, because uh, 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 y'all need to get this tonight. Let me paint a picture of what the house may have looked like that that uh, that they had to go to. Well, let me let me let me put up a picture of what what the house looked like. Y'all y'all see that? Y'all see that? If you can't see it, make your picture bigger. Flip through your phone and get to the where the PowerPoint slide is, where you can't see everybody else. But a typical uh, Judean house of that day consisted of an area near the door, often with a dirt floor, where the family's animals were kept at night so they would not be stolen or preyed upon. And so their body heat could help warm the house on cool nights. Okay, the family lived and slept in a raised part of the same room set back from the door. Okay, there was also usually a guest room either upstairs on a second floor or adjoining the family common room on the lower floor. So typically, typically, the lower area near the door had a manger for food and or water for the animals. So look at this picture here. Look at this picture. That's 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 the way the setup is. Okay? That's the way the setup is. Y'all see that y'all see that little whatever the animal is inside to the right down on the bottom. Okay? Y'all see the kitchen, then they had storage, all right? Do, do y'all see to the far right, they had the upstairs living space, and then they had another space right there? Notice the, the, the notice what the roof was made out of, and the, and the walls were made out of mud brick. It was covered with clay of straw, okay? I, I'm trying to paint a picture that, 
of how, how terrible this must have been. But think about it. Think about it. Because a manger is a feeding trial for farm animals. It was not a bad place for feeding sheep or cattle. But to my mind, it was certainly no place for a baby to be placed. Much less the son of God. However, as I think about this great truth, I realize that there were some important reasons why Jesus was placed in a manger at his birth. So let's deal with it. Let's deal with it. Let's deal with it tonight. Why was he placed in a manger? Well, the first the first reason, and I hope you all wrote this down, it was because of alienation. Verse 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 7 plainly says that Jesus was placed in this makeshift cradle because there was no room available for him and his family in the end. Now, isn't it sad? Isn't it sad that when, when God came to the earth to redeem sinners, there was no room for him in the end? There was no room in the guest house. Well, 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 I think you all would agree with me that things have not changed much in, 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 in over 2,000 years. There, there is still no room for Jesus seemingly in society, in schools, many homes, most lives, and sadly in some churches. Some churches have just about booted Jesus right out. <laughs> everything about their service is about everything else but Jesus. All right. But the question that you and I need to ask ourselves is simply this. Have we made room for Jesus? Not only in our hearts, but in our lives. Have we become too busy to spend the good quality time that we need to spend with him? He was, he was laid in that manger because of alienation. Remember, there was a census. You notice the house wasn't that big. Guests had already come in. The house was probably already full. So don't miss it. There was no room in the guest house. <laughs> I don't want y'all to miss it. So not only was it because of alienation, but then it was also because of association. Because of association. Because when Jesus allowed himself, y'all, 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 y'all need to understand. I'm trying to, I remember I told y'all, I think. Uh, last week that he didn't just come to being there in Bethlehem. Remember I told you he was already there in the beginning. Huh? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word was made flesh. And God said, let us make man. 
So, 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 uh, this baby in Bethlehem, that wasn't his beginning. And so when Jesus allowed himself to be laid in that manger, he was identifying himself with those he came to save. Y'all, he had a plan. Let me tell y'all, he had a plan. He had a plan. He had a plan. He was identifying himself with those that he came to save. Now, now watch this. There are three great areas of men's lives that Jesus came to identify with. Three. Three main areas that he came to identify with. Well, here they are. A, mankind's poverty. B, mankind's problems. C, mankind's priorities. Those are the three reasons. Those are the three reasons and the three areas of men's life that Jesus came to identify with. Let's 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 look at it. Man's poverty. When we think of mankind's poverty, when we think of that, oh God, all kind of scripture comes to mind. When I think of that, it lets me know that. He knows about our needs. Somebody need to hear that tonight. Somebody need to hear that God knows about your needs. <laughs> God knows about your struggles. God knows what you're going through. Write down 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. This is Bible study, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Look what it says. It says, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now don't jump over to your seat or whatever you're doing. Don't get too happy when you look at the when you look at that you might be rich. Because he wasn't talking about riches, houses, and land, and money. All right? He was he was referring to rich in him. Because how many of y'all know when you are rich in him, you don't have to worry about the rest. <laughs> He'll open up the windows of heaven. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And so he knows about our needs. He he. He knows our poverty. He does. God knows our poverty. And those of us that are blessed and, and, and that's not struggling per se right now. Come on. Don't get beside yourself. Because all it could take is one phone call. Y'all ain't got to listen. All it, that's all it takes is one letter in the mail. Okay. If, if God has blessed us to be able to not have to struggle, we ought to thank God. But for those that are in the struggle, amen. And when I speak of those of us that's, that, that's not in, in the struggle, I'm talking about just one paycheck away. I ain't talking about they've got a whole lot of money. I'm talking about just one paycheck. Some folks is just one paycheck away from the poorhouse. 
<laughs> All right, one paycheck. And so he knows our poverty. Matthew 8 and 20. And Jesus said unto him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath not where to lay his head. When you read that eighth chapter, that's when they wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus said, no, you don't want to follow me. See, some of us, Lord have mercy, some of y'all have trouble following, following him and being obedient to him, uh, driving nice cars and living in nice houses. So what Jesus was telling them is, you don't want to follow me. <laughs> you think you want to follow me. You don't want to follow me. And the reason you don't really want to follow me is because the birds of the air, they, they go and make their own nests. Foxes run into their hole. But sometimes the son of man, he don't know where he's going to lay his head. He just didn't know where he was going to lay his head. And so he knows our poverty. But the good news is he has promised to meet our needs. Somebody, you need to hear that tonight. God has promised to meet our needs. He can, he, he can associate with us. Come on, Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's a promise. And then watch this. Not only does he promise to supply your needs, but because of your faithfulness, because of your obedience, then you could turn around and say like David said in Psalms 37 and 25. David said, I have been young and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. In other words, not only have God provided for us, but he'll bless our children. He'll bless our grandchildren. He'll bless your great-grandchildren, your great-great-great-great. He says, because that's the kind of God we serve, because he was laid in that manger because of association. Yeah, he, he had to identify with man's poverty. But not only did he have to identify with man's poverty, but also he had to identify with mankind's problems. And I mean, you all know problems are everywhere. You don't have to look for problems. You ain't got to go out and look. You ain't even got to go start nothing. It's going to come to you. But you know what? In the midst of all of our problems, the good news is because he knows how to associate himself with us, he knows about our struggles. Somebody, you need to hear that. God knows about your struggles. Write down Isaiah 53 and 3. This is Bible study. Isaiah 53 and 3. Isaiah said, he is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And we hid as 
as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And you know what? Even though Isaiah writes that many, 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 many years ago, when he starts off that chapter, he starts off that chapter with who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. That's how he starts it. But then he knew that, that many men had despised and rejected him. And then he says, we have not esteemed him. That's still happening today. That word esteem just simply means to honor. It means to respect. <laughs> but guess what? That's why he knows about our struggles. Because he's been through it. He's been rejected. He's been disrespected. He's been dishonored. And, and then write down Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Look what it says. It says, so we have not a, a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So then he says, therefore, because of that, hey, and because of our association, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy. And when you look at that word mercy, that really that word mercy is sympathy, compassion, forgiveness, clemency, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. And so he knows about the trials we face and he has identified himself with them. Therefore, he's able to help us through our troubles and meet the needs of our lives. And then remember thirdly, see, not only did he come to identify with our poverty and with our problems, but also he came to identify with mankind's priorities. Uh-oh. Mankind priorities. Did you all know that he, he, he detested, he despised, he disliked, he, he hate worldly pomp and riches. All right. When Jesus came to this world, he knew that mankind was basically greedy and in love with wealth. That mankind was going to seek after prosperity and fortune and, and affluence and different things of that nature. Hmm. And so he came to teach us that there is a higher priority in life. And that priority is the glory of the Father. During that season, not just this season, but 365 days a year, there's a higher priority. All right? And that is the glory of the Father. Look at Luke 16. I'm going to prove it to you. 
Luke 16 and 15. This is what Luke says about Jesus. He says, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Uh-oh. Now, now, watch this. When you, when you read that 16th chapter, that's why it's always good. Don't just read the verse I say. But, but just go ahead and read that entire chapter so that you can fully understand what's being said. Because when you look at that, when you look at that 16th chapter, the Pharisees valued greatly their tradition, rules, and practices. Some of y'all struggling because you can't do your traditional Christmas. <laughs> this is the first year we ain't been able to do traditional Christmas. I hope you don't do it. I say, I hope you don't do it. Everything is different. Everything has changed. You know, but we, we're so caught up in the way it used to be until some people figure this ain't a good Christmas. It's a good Christmas because they laid him in a manger. Okay? And so the Pharisees, they valued their tradition, their rules, their practices, some of which prohibited healing on the Sabbath day. Here the man is sick and it's a Sabbath day. And they, they, they were so sticking to their rules and regulations, I guess they figured a the man needed to wait until the next day. But Christ put them in their place by saying what they thought was important, was an abomination to God. And then listen, I'm not a prophet, but I believe that we need to learn from this pandemic that God is trying to speak to us, believers, to the church, that what you thought was important, <laughs> huh? in the pandemic, you are discovering it's not that important no more. You're discovering that you could do without certain things. Certain things because of the tradition of men, the rules, Okay? And so he's saying, he's saying a lot of that stuff that we call uh, 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 what 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 we felt we needed to do. God, I hope it didn't, it didn't stink in your nostril, and I hope it was not an abomination in your sight. All right, many things mankind thinks are so great and important. God turns up His nose at them. All right. He was born in that humble manger <laughs> to remind men that the greatest aspiration of the human soul is to seek the glory of almighty God ahead of everything else. I'm going to say it again. God wants us. Our greatest aspiration should be to seek the glory of the almighty God ahead of everything else. Jesus give us some word on that. Yeah, y'all do believe the Bible, don't you? I think sometimes we just read it. A lot of folk don't really believe it, but I'm going to tell y'all something. I believe the Bible. Look what he said in, in Matthew 6, 33. He says, but seek ye first. 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. How many of y'all know God's got some added benefits? God's got some things, the things that we're struggling to work long hours for, the things that we're stressing over, the things that we're dreaming about. He says, just seek me. God has a way of adding things to you. I'm a living witness. The blessings of God maketh rich. And they what? Addeth no sorrow. Addeth no sorrow. And so God said, if we seek his kingdom first, he'll add all these things to us. And so it was because of association why he was laid in the manger. And then not only that, then not only that, but then because of accessibility, because of accessibility, write it down, because of accessibility. Imagine for a moment, just imagine, imagine for a moment that Jesus had been born in King Herod's palace, amid all the riches and finery of that place, of his house, of the palace. Imagine that his bed had been a golden crib. Just imagine in your mind now. Imagine him having enjoyed a life of abundance and plenty. Imagine him being separated from the common man by the walls and guards of a king's palace. If that were the case, would you feel the liberty to come to him? Probably not. You would feel that you had no place going to Herod's palace. <laughs> One reason, because you'd be scared of the guards. All right, he was born in a manger and thereby he made himself accessible to all who would come to him. When you look at chapter two, when you look at the text, the whole chapter, it records the visit of the shepherds. I preach about that on Sunday. These common, dirty, vile men felt the liberty to approach him in this place. And then later on, even the wise men, these learned, wealthy men, felt equally at home bowing before him. And I'm certain tonight, that's one of the reasons Jesus shined the palace in favor of the stable, so that he would be available to all who desired to come to him. Somebody ought to say, thank God, hallelujah, that whosoever will, let them come and they'll find whatever they need in Jesus. From the lowliest man to the most influential ruler, all men have a right to come to Jesus. You can't stop them from coming. The prostitute have a right to come to Jesus. The drug addict have a right 
to come to Jesus. Those that are living homosexual lifestyle, they have a right to steal. Come to Jesus. The lion man has a right to come to Jesus because he was laid in a manger so that he would be accessible to whosoever desired to come to him. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I like the whosoever part because that whosoever included me. I'm glad he didn't say only those that were good looking because I would have made it and, and, and a lot of folk wouldn't have. I'm glad he didn't say those that had a whole lot of money. I wouldn't have made it. I'm glad he didn't say only the educated because the majority of us would not have made it. Oh, but thank God. He said, whosoever believeth in him, they should not perish, but they would have everlasting life. And then you look at John the Revelator in Revelations 22, verse 17. I'm going to just look at verse 17. He says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. He was laid in the manger so that he would be accessible. Hallelujah. And then last but not least, last but not least, last but not least, it was because it was an announcement. He was laid in the manger because it was an announcement. When Mary took her newborn baby and placed him in the feeding trial, she was really painting an image far more vivid than she realized. For there in Bethlehem, the house of bread, the bread of life was born. And when you really think about it, when you really think about it, isn't it, isn't it appropriate that the one who would feed the souls of countless multitudes should have as his bed the very place where the animals came to be fed? It, it, it just serves, it just serves to remind us that when hungry men and women, boys and girls, come to Jesus and receive him, he satisfies their longing souls. And then he gives them the bread of life. It was almost as if God was saying, dinner is served, <laughs> come and dine. That, 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 that's what it seemed like he was saying. He had a plan. I'm glad I serve a God who knows everything. I'm glad I serve a God. He don't just have do things. I serve a God who knows. He knows all about our needs. He knows how to lift us when we're down. He knows how to satisfy our mouth with good things. He knows how to soothe all our doubts and calm all our fears. 
He knows how to dry every last one of our tears. Why was he laid in the manger? He was laid in the manger because of alienation, because of association, because of accessibility, and because it was an announcement. And I'm glad, I'm glad, and I believe that Jesus' birth it was a significant event. I'm glad it happened as it did. Huh? I'm glad it happened as it did. Because in it, I find there is room for me and for you to come to him and be saved by his grace. We can come to him with our burdens. We can come to him with our sorrows. We can come to him because he is accessible to us. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's a God of comfort. He's a God of peace. He's a, he is accessible. So when you locked up in that room and getting tired of being at home and locked up between them four walls, have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about your problems. He'll heal. He'll hear your fainted cry and he'll answer. He'll answer by and by and he'll lift those heavy burdens. He'll give you a song in the night. He'll put clapping in your hands. He'll put running down in your feet. He'll have you shouting hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, because the joy of the Lord is our strength. So thank God for the manger. Thank God for the manger. Thank God he was born in a manger. He could have he could have been born anywhere he wanted to be born. <laughs> y'all, that's what you all need to understand. But there was no room in the inn. The house was full. The guest room already had somebody in it. And so they just had to take him out back to the side there and lay him where the animals were. God, I thank you now for your goodness. I thank you for your love, your kindness. Thank you for your tender mercy. God, I thank you that there was no room in the end. Because there was no room in the end, God, we can associate ourselves. We can come to him at any time. Oh, God, I say thank you. We can find mercy. We can find grace. We can find peace in him. Thank you that you sent your only begotten son. And God, we confess that we believe that he is the son of God and that he died and they buried him. He rose on the third day and that he now sits on the right hand of the father and he makes intercession for us. He pleads our case. And I thank you because I know and I believe that he's coming back again to receive each and every one of us unto himself. Until that day come, God, help us to keep on keeping on. Help us to keep on keeping on. Help us to continue to look to the hills from which cometh our help, knowing that our help cometh from you. God, continue to sustain your people. Those that know sickness, God, let your healing virtue flow in the mighty name of Jesus. You are our healer. You are our healer. And I decree healing. From the top of their heads down to the soles of their feet. I decree healing now. 
in the name of Jesus. Open up doors, make ways. Somebody tonight stand in need of a financial miracle. God, the cattle on a thousand hill belong to you. Open up that door, make that way. Help them to continue, God, to trust you, to continue to be faithful to you, knowing that faithfulness to you always pays off. Now, God, I thank you and I praise you. And as we, God, enter into the rest of this Christmas season, please, God, help us to remember that Christmas is not about just giving gifts and having fun and laughing and talking and eating and decorating. But Christmas is about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to reflect every day, every day, how they laid him in the manger and how he was born and how he came to save each and every one of us. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank God. Amen. Amen. God bless you all tonight. If I knew all the words, 